Friends, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we try to help you uh, live longer, love stronger, and uh, lead the world. Somebody's got to take over the leadership of this world. It may as well be you. Today we've got a great show. We'll be talking about uh, technology. Our uh, tech guru, Jay McFarland, will be joining us. We got a lot of just little questions. Also, I wanted to get into tech learning. There's so many places to go learn online. Holy cow, I can't stop it. <sighs> what else are we going to talk about? Oh, we're going to talk about are you spoiling your kids? Sometimes, you know, you ever just say, look, if you just do your chores today, we'll go get you a car, a little matchbox car. That's what I used to want so bad, a little matchbox car. Mm. Well, apparently it creates uh, materialistic children. Judgmental children, if you uh, are always incentivizing them that way. We'll get into that later today. Also, we're going to talk about video games. Are they really turning your brain to mush? Uh, according to my two cohorts, members of my cohort here, uh, yes, they are, because their brains are just big, mushy, gooey. No. Yeah. They help in problem solving. If you play with other people, there's like a social aspect to it. No. Okay, let's be very clear. <laughs> Terry, you spent four hours one night looking up the word Sith. Yes, on Wikipedia. <laughs> There's a rabbit hole that I fell down. <laughs> I don't know if I came back rabbit out. Hole. Oh, my God. And now you know everything there is about the Sith world. Well, I know some things because there's a lot I skipped. Really? Yes. Why? I didn't have time. Yeah. There was other things. Because you, you know how it is. You're, you're tracking one topic, and then all of a sudden there's like 15 links. Yeah. Which one do you click? Or do you stay on the... It should choose your own it's adventure. Hard. Yeah. That is a ra- that's a hole. That's a rabbit hole. It's like an entire Saturday night. I look up and I'm like, oh. Well, you, you spent your Saturday night doing oh, that? Oh, just sitting on the couch. I mean, that sounds like a Tuesday night activity. Well, on Tuesdays I'm busy. What are you doing Tuesday nights? Well, looking up news, of course. R2D2. <laughs> See, that's the problem. Your brains are going soft on video games. Not when you play once a week. If you play it... More like every single day and several hours a day, I can see there being an issue. My mom said my brain would just shrink to nothing. Well, moms say a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Hey, so here's the deal. Have you ever just have you ever gotten up in the morning, got about gone about your day, and about an hour later, have you ever felt like your face wasn't awake yet? Mm-hmm. Have you ever felt that? Like literally today, I'm like, is my my face is James? Does my face look weird to you? Um, I know that's a weird question. Not any more weird than it usually does. Is the palsy setting in? Is that what I don't it know is? what it is. You drooping or something? But it's like my face is still asleep. My eyes are still. They're just. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, you do look kind of dazed. Really? Yeah. That's just rude. Right there, you're you're just like kind of. Well, why were you? Blank. That's. I mean, you don't need to say that. Okay. All right. Well, well you, just you may or may not look dazed. Just so saying. my face is still asleep. That's a hard day. What if you had to wake up every body part? Individually? Yeah. Oof. yeah do, you, do you guys, or is it just me? Is, is your first step of every morning just miserable? <laughs> 
I have to sit up and probably like count to 10. Do you? Do Just you? wait and let everything sort of like, it feels yeah. like, like the blood's rushing uh-huh. back to the extremities and you're ready to, okay, then you stand yeah. up. Do you ever if feel like I you're just ext- go to, <laughs> if I go to stand up, I will pass out. I know. I'll do, fall down. Do you feel like your extremities are like, what the? Yeah. It's like, wait. The, what the? Hold it. What? What are you doing? Yeah. And the yeah. minute your feet, my feet hit the ground and I actually have to lift myself up. And I'm, we're young, relatively. Relatively speaking. Yeah, you looked at me like what? I'm like what? Seriously? But, we're young. Yeah, it takes a what while. What happens like when you're 80? Oof. You just stay in bed longer. There's going to be a revolt. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, this might wake you up. What? With fear and trembling. Oh, good. Donald Trump? Yeah. He has declared he will create a presidential exploratory committee. Oh, man. <laughs> really? Good. So he made that announcement, or he, he plans to make the announcement today. Well, then they got to get no. rid. Then they need to get rid of his show. What's it called? You've got mail. You're fired. The Apprentice, yeah, or whatever it's one. called. He says, "I am the only one who can make America truly great again." Hmm. Well, woo! I feel like he's the Kanye West of the business world. He just has <laughs> says all these wild things. He's, yeah, that, he, he says was, he's hired political aides in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, which hosts the first three contests of the presidential nominating calendar. Well, you know what is that's not even scary to me. This the scary thing is that he's going to get votes. Yeah. Well, like I mean, he usually does. Gets but, a few. Uh, yeah, so Trump wow. Trump's going to be in the news cycle for a while. The White House announced that uh, Secretary of State John Kerry, re- not President Obama, reached out to Benjamin Netanyahu after mm. his win, adding that Obama will phone the prime minister after his party forms a coalition government. Yeah, because it's not legit yet. And some think it's just, you know, not giving him the respect mm-hmm. because of what he did to get his, you know, going extreme, going against agreements that he had already you know, talked to Obama. We're all together on this and the two-state solution, and now he's against it. And oh, man. All that stuff. Coming to Congress without notifying the White House. Can't, can't we just get along? No, it's always a fight. The Fed announced that uh, on Wednesday they announced its intention to raise interest rates for the first time since the Great Recession. Oh, boy. By dropping its patient stance, as they call it, the central bank opens the door to raising interest rates as early as June. Yeah, that word patient. I think we didn't say, yeah, in their announcement. Anyway, but so all of a sudden, here we sit, and this is going to start to impact the markets a little bit. You're going to see a little tightening, I bet. People are going to freak out. The first time uh, the cost of borrowing money has increased since 2006. And that's a great sign. Yeah. I mean, ish. It just shows that the economy is getting better. Yeah, we're getting, we're turning normal, hopefully. We heard about Robert Durst earlier yeah. in the week. The billionaire. The real estate heir who was arrested last week, charged for murdering his wife. Who was mumbling in the bathroom. Now, Yeah, now he's suspected of four other allegedly involvement somehow in four yes. other murders but yeah they caught him on that video in that documentary on hbo called the jinx of course i murdered him um law enforcement when they arrested him they found him with a latex rubber mask fake ids forty two thousand dollars in cash and a revolver they think he was trying to leave the country change his id that's how that's off. what james was carrying the first time i met him all that he's carrying all that stuff wow what were you gonna do james well, the first time that Matt met me, I was um, just a Baby. wee little pup on the doorstep of the broadcast. Uh, so it was building. the second time I met him. Oh, was it? Okay. You were carrying all of that stuff. Where were you? What, I think you were going to a linger longer with your church group. Yeah, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that's what was happening. 
Is that what was that? Yeah. But the gun wasn't real. No, no, it was a Halloween party, so. Yeah. But, but the $42,000 in cash? Totally. That was real. Yeah, I usually carry around that much. That's just your small, you know, walking around money. Yeah, yeah just Well, he case. used to until, until he started blinging up. Now he just wears it in bling. Yeah, so I changed the cash for gold. Now I just wear the... the and the grill. Yeah, exactly. $40,000 $40, worth of gold. Do you remember that first time you brought the grill to the radio show and you were wearing it and you talked like this? And we couldn't understand you. Yeah, you told me I could never bring it back again. Yeah. So I you just need put it out real on my practice. Desk. Yeah. Do you know the origins of the of the advertising slogan "Just Do It"? Well, uh, it was Phil Nike, Phil Knight, Knight, Phil Nike. That's not his name. <laughs> that's, that's what I like to call him. So it's Nike's Phil, slogan. Phil, it is Nike's slogan, and his it was his son didn't want to do his homework, and Phil yelled, "Just do it!" No. What? I found this. This this was kind of this interesting cool. last night. The advertising executive behind the creation of Just Do It revealed his inspiration came from a murderer's finals, final words. Really? Just do it? Just kill me? So, he recalled a man in Portland. Uh, he grew up in Portland, ran around doing criminal acts. Remember the name Gary Gilmore? Oh, yeah. He was... Uh, I think he was killed he in was, Utah. Yes. He, he born he in Portland. He was on the death row, yeah. But he killed a man and a woman here, and they went on death row. Yeah. He was uh, killed by firing squad. You're kidding And me. it says, um, they asked him if he had any final thoughts, and he said, let's do it. The advertising executive thought, let's do it doesn't quite work. Just no. do it works. So that's where it came from. I'm pretty sure Nike doesn't want that out. There. No, but this guy's not with Nike anymore, so he's, Because that's such a motivational interviews. theme. I'm thinking of good lot going to law school. Just do it. I'm thinking of shooting somebody. Just do it. I, I thought that was like the most odd thing. I'm pretty sure my story was more accurate. Yeah. They're saying it came from right before a guy was executed. Oh, we got to talk to Sports Nation about that. BYU Sports Nation. I'm going to ask them if they know where that came from. It's they really, really they strange. They won't know that. <laughs> Just do it. Man. Crazy town. Good, good stuff. Just do it. That's good. I'm going to use that in my next motivational speech. Just do it. The infamous words of Gary Gilmore. <sighs> hey, that's the information you get on this show. A lot of shows would just skip that kind of information. We want to change your world. We're going to take a break. When we come back, our tech guru, Jay McFarland, is on the line, and we have got a list of questions, information about technology, a bunch of little changes going on. Plus, we're going to get into online learning and using technology to improve your own uh, education. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we like to uh, follow up on some of the tech news, things that are going on in technology. You know, this technology thing, I think it's around for a while. It seems like a lot of changes are going to just keep coming. Google, Microsoft, Nintendo, all of them are in the news. So we decided to bring in our tech guru, Jay McFarland. Uh, Jay is uh, the Renaissance man, quite honestly. He's uh, at one time in his career, he ran 42 restaurants for a national corporation when he was 29 years old. 
Holy cow. Uh, he also then had his own radio show in Dallas, Texas, a very popular talk program there. He since has moved uh, to Salt Lake City, Utah, where he is now the host of the browsers. He's one of the browsers and um, on the radio program browsers. He works with KSL News Radio. He's the author of two books, Freedom Ain't Free and Joyful Union. He's also created about 100 apps and games for iPhones and iPads. He's the proud father of four children and just celebrated his 20th anniversary with his beautiful wife in uh, 2011. So he's up to 25, four years. He's been married as long as I have. Jay McFarland, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Good morning, Matt. How are you? Good, brother. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. You know, uh, do you think this tech thing's going to keep happening? Do you think we're ever just going to slow down? I think your assessment may be right on. I mean, it's a risk to say tech will be around for a while, but... (laughs) It, 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 we're probably going to see it for a few more years anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, yeah. It, I, you know, it's it's hard to stop a trend. <laughs> yeah. And it changes every single day. I mean, we I, I keep wondering, when are we going to plateau? Yeah. And it just doesn't seem like that's going to happen, well, which I love. I do, too. It It's not going to plateau, is it? Because it's, uh, let's see, there's just 5 million other places we could insert tech. Right. Like, I mean, you can you could even like insert more technology into your restroom visit. Oh, yeah. E- everywhere. I mean, and you just think about the new frontier of wearable technology uh. and and the fact that we're getting to the point now because what held us back with wearables was, you know, charging these things. Yeah. You have to wear these huge battery packs. We're now getting shoes that generate their own electricity or pants that from the friction of you walking will power devices. Oh man. And that's remember that's what made Iron Man Iron Man. When he could carry around his own that's electrical true. source, pretty soon he could fly and save the world. So <laughs> you know, we're all heading in that direction pretty quick. Hey, uh is Iron Man real? Um I can't I can't reveal that. Did they tell? Did they talk to you at the tech conferences? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I, this wasn't on your list, so I'm going to throw a total curve just to begin the whole okay. show. Did you hear about the Google uh, cancer device, cancer uh, screening device that they're investing in that you wear something on your wrist and it actually kills cancer cells in your body? Yes. Do you know anything about and, that? Uh, well, a little bit. I mean, it's. Uh, I saw a couple of reports about uh, this type of device and one that also uh, detects uh, potential heart attacks. Ooh. So this is uh, it, it's actually a, a bracelet. I did what I saw didn't say that it attacks cancer, but it, that it just detects cancer okay. and de- detects heart attacks. Oh, I thought it was like going to like do something and like kill cancer cells as they were in your blood or something. I don't know. Basically, I said the company is working on uh, tech that combines disease-detecting nanoparticles, Mm. which they would enter into your bloodstream, so you'd swallow this pill, and then you would have a a wrist-worn sensor that would interact with those nanobots when they are in your bloodstream. Ooh. And then they would be able to tell if you had cancer or if you had signs of a heart attack. And it looks like the idea is in the future, then you'd be able to, I guess, hit a button on your, you know, on your Apple Watch and say, go kill the cancer. Oh, my heavens. So uh, they call it uh, Google X. Uh, Google that is, X. Uh, look, that, yeah. That, that's going to be a great commercial. 
Yeah, and we hear a lot about these nanoparticles, and we do use them in healthcare quite a bit now. Uh, so the key would be, you know, identifying those cells and then tell them to uh, go get it to attack and destroy. That'll be the coolest day. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Hey, what's with Google? Um, there, why are they into everything? <laughs> and and are they? Do they just have so much money? That they are really into everything. Well, that's, I mean, you know, they're trying to lead out. We think of them as the search engine provider. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people don't connect Google and Android. They are the same company. They had Google Glass, which at this yeah. point is being considered uh, a failure. They've completely stopped selling them, and they're going back to the drawing board. Good, because that. that looked goofy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we all look like, you know, cyborgs or like we've been <laughs> assimilated by the Borg. Right. Uh, but there are even rumors that Apple is working on some type of uh, like, Google Glass yeah. device. You know, it's going to happen. Computer yeah. Display that you wear on your face. I, you know, I'm concerned enough about having to go back to look at my wrist for information. Totally. I, I stopped doing that a long time ago. One of the big announcements from Google is that they're going to start screening their apps for Android. And this is something that I've been calling for. So I think they're personally following my advice. Well, you're an app builder. You, yeah. But uh, do they not normally screen apps? That no. seems kind of irresponsible. Well, that's been one of the differences between uh, Google Play and iOS or Android apps and iOS for iPhone is that when you submit an app to Apple for approval for the iPhone, it's a 10 to 12-day process. Yeah, And they get, have somebody who will look at the app, they'll put their eyes on it, they'll try it out, and they'll, they'll deny them for all kinds of reasons, either content, they don't like the way they look, they don't like the way they feel. But when you get your first app through Apple, it's a big deal because they're hardcore. When you submit an app to, to Android, to Google Play, yeah. it's available in three hours. <laughs> Just long enough for it to index in the system. They have this algorithm that kind of looks at the app, but their their design is it's just like YouTube, which they own as well now. It's completely reactionary. In other words, they don't really look at an app for problems unless someone has complained. So if you download an app and it doesn't do what it says it does, and then you complain, then Google Play will look at it and say, well, uh, we'll tell the developer to change hmm. it. The, the problem with that is Let's say there's a real popular app out like Flappy Birds. I can create an app that looks like Flappy Birds that has a name similar to Flappy Birds. Flabby Bird. Flappy Bird. You, you don't know what Flappy Bird is? No, I do, but you could call it Flappy Bird. Flap. Well, yeah, that's right. And then just have bird. a heavier bird that's doing the same yeah. thing. <laughs> which, which makes perfect sense. Totally. <laughs> and then I can put malware in it that tracks you your information. That that steals information from you. You download it thinking it's the real thing. You don't know the malware is there. Either does Google because they didn't, they didn't really look, look at, at it. the app. And then finally when people complain, that's when it'll come down. Interesting. The other problem with that is I could market it as an app for kids, but it yeah. really got inappropriate content. And so this is a big move for Google to move in the direction of of Apple to pre-approve these apps. They also will have 
rating systems for kids. So when you are a parent, you can look at that app and say, this is for a six-year-old, or this is for a teen, hmm. or this is for an adult. Uh, they haven't had that in the past. So it's a, that's an important deal because Androids, there's a lot more Androids in the hands of kids because they're cheaper devices. Right. And the, yeah. Is, it, uh, is this Google responding to the market or is this Google responding to potential lawsuits? Uh, probably both. Okay. It's been, the two biggest complaints about Android are, one, this problem that they don't pre-screen apps. And it clutters their store yeah. because I can literally just put anything up there without any any questions. And then the other problem is something called fragmentation, and and that's where uh, Android does not have a way to update its operating system for all of its phones. If if they put out a security update for Android, mm-hmm. it has to go to the manufacturer, so it has to go to LG or to Samsung. Oh yeah, and th- and then they make changes to it, and then it has to go to AT&T or Sprint or Verizon, and then they make changes to it. Oh, wow. And then it will eventually make it out, if ever. The majority of Android users are still using operating systems that are six to seven versions old. And in fact, the the newest operating system, Lollipop, only 3% of Android users have that because Android did not come up with a way to just update their operating system to everybody, whereas Apple, oh. because they yeah. they control the hardware and the software, they can just send out an update and everyone has access to it. That may or may not brick your phone, which has happened, but... Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, but at least they have that system. So oh, and we're seeing Android move in that direction in several ways. Well, it's, That's good news for everybody. Well, I think it is, too. And it's and again, it's you're going to start getting probably a higher quality of of everything. Now, all of a sudden, it's it's going to feel a little bit more maybe like uh, iOS and Apple. Let's take a break. We're talking with our tech guru, Jay McFarland. Uh, when we come back, we're going to get into Microsoft. Believe it or not, they're going to be ditching Internet Explorer, getting rid of it. They have a new project, Spartan, coming up. Also want to talk about Nintendo. Folks, they may be going towards smartphones games instead of just maybe DS. I don't know. We're going to ask the guru when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. A little, uh, a little weird Al Yankovic for you. It's all about the Pentiums. <laughs> um, welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Online with us is Jay McFarland, our tech guru uh, from the Browsers radio show in Salt Lake City at KSL Radio. And uh, Jay knows everything about tech and a lot about just everything else. He's he's just he's a walking Wikipedia is what he is, and so Jay, welcome back to the show. Thank you. We played your favorite your favorite uh, musician, Weird Al. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> he's quite the guy. Talk about Microsoft. Are they really going to get rid of Internet Explorer? Can you believe that? Yeah. Well, it's one of those things where are they just changing the name yeah. because Internet Explorer has gotten a bad reputa- reputation. 
Uh, I think part of that is yes. Uh, they also skipped Windows 9. I don't know if you noticed that. Windows 8 is out. No. And now you're getting Windows 10. Mm, what happened Not to getting, 9? It, it's just, it's just number 7, 8, 9 yeah. right, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it's just gone. Uh, so the next version in <laughs> no Windows, Windows 10. Okay. And the Internet Explorer in that, you'll still have a web browser in there. Good. It just won't be called Internet Explorer. And it's just kind of a re a remake from the ground up remake of Internet Explorer, and they, it will do some cool things. They got to compete with Chrome, right? And Firefox. These two are yeah. taken off. Yeah, absolutely. So it will feature uh, a new a new rendering engine uh, that will make it a little bit cleaner, a little bit crisper. Uh, but there's some features getting some attention, like it will have this inking support that's going to let you make notes right on web pages. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and then you and then you can sync those notes with your OneDrive account. Everyone has a OneDrive account, right? Uh. And then <laughs> and then uh, uh, it will also allow you to type on those pages okay. and make comments and and annotations and those types of things. Or you can put it in a reading mode, and what that would do is it would strip away all the clutter on the page. Yep, all the ads. More, yeah, and it actually kind of makes it look more like you're reading a book. Oh, cool. Um, and you've seen this to some degree in Safari for Mac and iOS devices right. for a while. Uh, you know when you pull up, when you're on an iPad, you pull up a web page. It just it renders differently yep. than it does on an Android or a PC. Uh, so Project Spartan is moving in that direction. That's also, cool. it'll have Cortana. You know what Cortana is? Uh, isn't, isn't she a singer from Spain? Um, not sure about that. Okay. Uh, she is the Siri-like operating system ah, for Windows. Cortana. Yeah, and Cortana gets a lot of good reviews because of her integration uh, with Windows phones, which okay. not a lot of people have. But apparently she's a little bit more robust than Siri on the iPhone. And, I, and Siri doesn't listen to me. Uh, I, I don't know why, but I can't get Siri to do anything for me ever. I think so it I, sounds like she's passive-aggressive. Well, yeah, we've had a, an ongoing uh, spat, and we've broken up several times. And I'm not a fan of Siri. I'm not a fan of these voice-activated operating systems just because they don't work for me. Right. I see other people using them, and they work great. Maybe it's maybe it's just something with women, Jay. I, <laughs> I do. The reactions from Siri are similar to those that I get from my wife at times. Okay, so, so at least there's a trend. <laughs> There's yeah. a trend. Hey, talk about Nintendo, because um, it seems a little scary that Nintendo's moving to the smartphone world. I mean, it's smart, well, I guess. Yeah, I mean, doesn't that just make sense? Well, yeah, I except mean, what about DS and Wii and all of those things? Are well, they... that, that's the question, is will you be able to suddenly play those games on on your smartphone? And the answer is uh, maybe. Okay. Uh, they're not saying... Uh, all of our games that are out there right now, suddenly you'll be able to play them on these devices. They're saying this is for new content. Okay. They go out and take some of their old content and redesign it for uh, for this type of use. But there's, they uh, they lined up with this other game maker. It's a company called Dina, D-E-N-A. And they say only new original games that are created hmm. for smart device functionality will be created. Because you know the Wii uses a different uh, you know, yeah. type of controller. And right. to suddenly say, 
you're going to be able to do that type of stuff on your iPhone. That might be tricky. I think what will be interesting is if they make your smartphone the controller for the Wii and those types of things. That would oh, be yeah. cool. And right? that would be a cool integration. Plus, Yeah, or a second screen or even a third screen. Uh-huh. For your for your smartphone, that I think would would get a lot of interest. So we'll just have to wait. And see That's cool. Well, what and, and DS they'll offer. It seems like all the DS games uh, would kind of more naturally be able to migrate over to the right. smartphone, and right. then that could right. be a revenue source. But, Absolutely. Uh, talk about this. You heard about Aaron Shock, the Republican congressman from Illinois. Who, yeah. who talk about? Because a lot of us don't get what's going on. How did Instagram bring down a congressman? Well, the congressman brought down the congressman. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the, I mean, this is the congressman for anybody that knows that's got a, a workout video, abs of steel. I mean, a lot of people are like, "Oh my heck, you look like Matt Townsend," and yeah. um, and then they, he also has the Downton, Downton Abbey uh, office remodel. Yes, which which cost an amazing amount of money. So this guy, uh, by all accounts, was considered an up-and-comer. He was getting a lot of attention, and uh, he's he's out of Illinois, and uh, apparently lived quite the lavish lifestyle, and a lot of it paid by the taxpayers or campaign funds or uh, people who make donations. And the reason that we know what he was doing isn't because somebody outed him or, you know, isn't because some insider found all this spending or some investigation. It's because in his genius, he posted all of it on Instagram. Oh, geez. <laughs> so, Honestly. for example, photos of his, uh, his uh, taxpayer private jets or Instagrams of a campaign uh, donation individual who yeah. rented a plane and brought him to a, K- a private Katy Perry concert. Uh, the the Downton Abbey office that you talked about. I mean, he was just he just put it all out there and was shocked and amazed when everybody said, "Wait a minute, this isn't really what that money is supposed to be used for." Because they so, could um, then go tie it back to his his spending. Yes. So now they have the date stamp, the time stamp, the location stamp, (laughs) and they could find out how he got there. Yes. Uh. And so he is resigning or has resigned now. And and in his resignation, talked about how committed he was to proper use of those funds. And the the biggest shame is the Instagram account is now private. So you can't go on and you can't go on and see all that now. Yeah. Ah. (laughs) Right when you get a really good. Instagram site to go I know. see. I mean, just genius. Hey, at least he wasn't hiding it, right? He's yeah. just putting it all out there for everybody to see. But like this, the same thing, I guess, could happen if I if I don't turn off on Instagram my little notice saying that it's going to geolocate me wherever mm-hmm. I am. So, because mm-hmm. you could go to Disneyland with your family, and then everybody that's on your Instagram site knows that no one's at your house or whatever. Right. Right. And you know, you can control that if you're. If you're limiting those who can see your stuff to just people you know, uh, but that is a concern within any social media. It's been a recommendation for a long time that you don't put it out there. Yeah. You're on vacation. Take all those photos, put them on Instagram, but do it when you get back. Yeah, save it. Right? 
yeah, say here's here's where we were, and then you can make all your friends jealous and make them feel like their lives are terrible because they it. never get a vacation. Isn't the real lesson here, Jay, to just turn off all social media? <laughs> that's not possible. People don't people don't do that's not a thing, Matt. That's not people a thing. Don't do that. No. That's no. crazy. We hey. love social media because we can. Social media is a place where you can create an image of you uh, yeah. that can be anything you want. Oh yeah. Right? Anything you want. And you can think about every post in advance and you can craft yeah. whatever image. And I'm not saying everybody does that. but Just most of them. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I would ask, do you like your the social media you more than you like the in-person? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Totally. That, that's that's a big time question. And I, I like to I like to not only like make myself look better, but I like to go see all the people that aren't as cool as me. Of course. It's like it, that's where you're and your self esteem associated to like mm-hmm. or retweet yeah. or share. Uh-huh. Yeah, I hear I hear my kids talk about it. I I got retweeted like fifty times on that. I know. <laughs> and and how how closely that is associated to success. Your identity self esteem. Totally. And they've all become like little entertainers, right? They want to, they want to do things that entertain and that that get shared. You know, it's like they're doing their own little stand-up comedy show, but oh. on social media. Isn't that great? That's why technology is yeah, never going away. No, absolutely not. Because we've got everyone addicted now. Hey, one yeah. of the things I love, uh, and you're doing it on your website. You you have training videos at. at you tell me if I'm right here. Um, you have training videos on your website at jmcfarland.com where people can learn to do apps kind of your way. You do it a different way where it's not all coding. Um, but you're using your site to educate. Yeah. I'm, I actually teamed up with a, a company called Pluralsight. And uh, Pluralsight is very well known in the industry uh, for online training. So you can learn how to code. It's also mainly for people who are in the industry who are looking to advance their education or get additional certifications in their coding. So they have a monthly fee associated with it. There's a free trial. I, I believe it's $30 a month. And you can get that and you can go on and you can learn just absolutely anything about coding the videos that I've created are about the source I use. It's called Game Salad, which is a setup that lets you build games without knowing any code. It's all rules-based. Hmm. It's all graphical-based. And uh, I actually learned it because my 11-year-old son created a game, and we submitted it to to Apple when he was 11, and they, they, they approved it. So he's been an app de- developer since he was 11 using this Game Salad system. But, but that's amazing. One. Yeah, there's another one if you want to get your kids involved called Code School. Uh, just go to codeschool.com, and they have really well-done free videos. And then once you get into advanced levels, they will charge you. Uh, but they have this really cool setup. So they teach you what the code is, and then they have you type it in. And if it's right, you move on to the next level. If it's not right, they coach you and help oh, you great. get it right. And so that gives you real-time feedback and interaction, uh, and that's a great place if you want your kids to get started, uh, you know, to just see if they have an aptitude for it uh, or to see if, you know, I get questions on my show every day. I have this idea for an app. Uh, Can you help me build it? And, 
you know, that's a difficult prospect if you don't know how to code. And, and coding is not incredibly complicated. You are learning another language. Uh, I would go to code school or something like that and check it out. You, everybody's got to go to your website. You have about, I know you have about 100 apps total, but on your site you have about 30 or 40 that, to think that you could sit down with your kids and maybe make an app together, mm-hmm. that's just awesome. That's a cool family yeah. activity. Yeah, it really is. And uh, in fact, I've sat down with my uh, scouts. You know, I have the 11 year old scout. Yeah. And we're building a game together. Uh, and they just, they are amazed at a system like Game Salad at how simple that is. And the same with coding. Once you understand the basis for the language, mm-hmm. uh, you really can go in and, and do some amazing things. But you think about like Game Salad, it's one platform and it will publish out to. Uh, Mac to iPhone to Android to Windows. I mean, and they're Amazon apps. Yeah. 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 And they're expanding all the time. And what's, what's cool about all of this, you talk about technology. The greatest thing for me, Matt, is that the barriers to entry are gone. Yeah. In other, if you wanted to publish a game 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it may have cost millions of dollars and a team of 25 people. Now you can sit there. Somebody like me who has no coding background, I can publish apps. The only thing I lose is my time, a little bit of money. Yeah. But the barriers to entry are completely gone. So when all that you're out is your time, potentially, why not try it? Right. Why not put something out there? Well, and, you never know. Well, and you've even figured out how to get a bunch of 11-year-olds to do the work for you. So it's yeah. like <laughs> it's like almost not even costing you anything. Don't reveal my my <laughs> secrets, my little my little child labor development it's a rat camp there. <laughs> you scouts got that app done yet? Don't make me yeah. get out of my chair. Exactly right. That's how I got so many of them done. Oh, that is funny, man. Time. But well, that's what I say. It's try cool. It. Yeah, you know, try it. Put it out there. See what happens. You you know, I had a good friend who told me several years ago. Uh, that they were going to learn how to code and put out a game. And I kind of mocked him a little bit. It was when the first iPhone came out. And he published this game. You might have heard of it. It's called Words of Friend. Yeah. And, uh, Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. I mean, but there's real money. You make real money on these things. Uh, yeah. I, I, I was surprised when he didn't sell that game for 8 to $10 million. Are you I'm like, kidding? I'm like, I'm like, dude, you got to take that money. You're not going to get and he finally sold it to Zenga. I think his share was well over $100 million. For and, an app, dude. And yeah. this was some guy that you're laughing at. Yeah, this was a, a friend in, in Dallas, Texas. And his first game, by the way, was Chess with Friends. Have you ever heard of that? No. Is That's because that it failed. Yeah. It failed miserably. And then they just kept going, and they put out Words with Friends. And I remember that first email, and they're like, hey, try this new game. It's called Words with Friends. Tell your friends, and I said, it's just Scrabble. Yeah. Come on. This you know? is just Scrabble. But yeah, again, I've spent hours on that app. Oh, my gosh. My wife still plays every single day. <sighs> so, you know, the barriers to entry are gone. Get out there. Teach yourself some things. Try it out. You just never know. And especially your kids. I think coding is more important to be taught in school than Spanish right you bet. now. No, honestly. you bet. You bet. Or, or French. Kids should come out of school with a base knowledge of how to, how to do this stuff. Jay, you're the man. I'm, that's it. I'm changing careers. I'm going to go hey, build. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to build an app. My, come join my 11-year-olds. Yeah. And, uh, Your uh, labor market. That's cool. Yeah. 
I gotta get I gotta get me a scout troop. <laughs> Jay, thanks, brother. Hey, glad to do it. Take care. Everybody go check out that website, jmcfarland.com. You'll see all of his apps uh, and just his links. Plus, you can connect to his radio shows, get his books. This is the deal, real deal. We're going to take a break, come back, continue the discussion. A little bit, want to get into the NCAA tournament. I don't know if you've heard about that, but that's also happening. BYU's not in it anymore, but what do you do? What do you do? We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Some of you may uh, have put together a bracket, or 12, for the NCAA tournament. I personally abstained. My son did nine of them, and after I started mine and he was on his ninth one, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to use one of yours. It's not as much fun. But uh, this NCAA tournament... um, it's a great thing, right? But it also might be costing your business some money as well. Uh, Terry's been out researching like crazy. All yeah, about. I, I just typed in NCAA tournament loss of productivity, and it comes right up. They do it every year. Where Where did you do that on, on Google? Oh, you don't. You didn't do it on Explorer. No. Okay. Don't use Explorer. You didn't use Bing. Didn't use Bing, didn't use DuckDuckGo, didn't use any alternative Ask search Jeeves. engines. Oh, DuckDuckGo was no, one that. of my favorite games as a kid. That's what you called it, DuckDuckGo? It was DuckDuckGoose. Oh. Yeah, DuckDuckGo is a alternative search engine that allegedly does not track what you search. Right. Yeah, so. Tell that to the NSA. People use that every once in a while. But you type this in, productivity, NCAA tournament, and you get all these different figures. It's up to $2 billion lost. Because the tournament happens during the workday. Yeah. Starts at 10 a.m. today. 16 games. 16 games. Between 10 a.m. and 10 p.m. Mountain. 16 games. 32 teams. 32 teams would be 32 university communities. Yes. Tens of trillions of people. Thousands. Yeah. Trillions is a bit much. Slight exaggeration. There's not that many people on the planet, but that's fine. We understand what you're trying to say. There's a A lot lot of people. people. So it says only about one-third of the quote-unquote diehard college sports fans are actually alumni of the teams they follow. Really? So the rest are kind of just groupies. another third didn't even go to college at all. (laughs) So. But they have some connection to a university. they live by it. They grew up there. Yeah, their dad. Yeah. And and, and I found this one funny. If you're filling out a last-minute bracket... You have a one in nine point two quintillion chance of picking a perfect bracket. Well, because you're obviously not that into this. You're doing it today, <laughs> and your uh, yeah, and your odds are lower simply because you're clueless. Nine point two quintri- quintillion is actually one billion repeated nine point two billion times. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So good luck with that. That's math. Now, that, the odds get better if you have some knowledge of college basketball. But if you had knowledge of college basketball If you and know who the good passion, teams are, injuries, that kind of thing. You would have done this earlier. You would have done it earlier, and you have a better chance. A, yeah. De, a DePaul math professor says it's 1 in one, 128 billion. Oh, really? So your odds are much yeah, better. Yeah, so it's only 128 billion. Yeah. 
Oh, but but there's still a chance. There's a chance. <laughs> You're telling me there's a chance. Only once since the tournament began seeding teams in 1979 have all four top seeds made it to the final four, and that was in 2008. Interesting. Last year, the last four teams standing was a one, two, seven, and eight seed with the seven and eight seeds making the championship game. Okay. So if you take, you know, if you just go by the numbers and take top seeds all the way to the, the, you're you're not going to win because that just doesn't happen. I'm going to go out on a limb. Uh Uh-oh. Without a bracket, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Kentucky's going to take the whole thing. That's the downside to the whole tournament. Is it? It's kind of a coronation for the fact that the University of Kentucky is undefeated. Yeah, Thir- if, yeah, thirty-four it, and zero or whatever. If they win all the way to the title game, that's forty and zero. Yeah, I'm going with them. It history making. I don't think it's ever been done. It'll happen. Now that BYU's out, I'm going with Kentucky. <laughs> Kentucky's your team. Yeah. Well, then the problem is I've always liked Kentucky. What happens if Kentucky loses? Wow. Then somebody wins the championship, and you're like, well, they couldn't have beat Kentucky. That's right. That's true. You know? So no matter what happens, it's, it's about always Kentucky. compared to Kentucky at this point because they are so good. It's good to be Kentucky this year. There's NBA coaches speculating that Kentucky could make the NBA playoffs. Yeah, they were like taunting some of the lower teams in the NBA. Right now, I think I read that they are they would be the second tallest team in the NBA. Wow. With the amount of height that they have. They have some really tall players. But see, They're really athletic. Terry, let's get real. It's not always about your height. In basketball, it, it, sometimes it is. <laughs> sometimes it's just about your will to win or uh, your contract negotiations. It could be about either of those. Your will or your negotiation or your agent. Three things. This Kentucky team could have five lottery picks. In the NBA lottery. So the top. Yeah, that's cool. The top, top 15 five. picks. Yeah. They could have top 10 picks. Who knows? But they, they have probably the, the top five players on their team are really good. Are they all seniors? Is this no. an old team? No. Oh, They're boy. freshmen and right. maybe a sophomore. If you make it to a sophomore at Kentucky, there's yeah. a problem. Yeah. You're not really NBA what is material. Your deal? You should have left after your freshman Loser. season. Isn't that wild? I, I'm going with Kentucky. And I didn't even know all this information. Yeah. I did know that they were but like 34. Watch them get to say like the the second round and lose. Yeah, you Just know. Just kind of have an off game. Yeah, maybe some, well, maybe one of those tall guys pulls a hammy or five. Or two. Yeah. Hmm. How much? Two billion dollars. They feel that the, the researchers, but the stuff I've seen say that 1.2 billion, 1.7 billion, 2 yeah. billion. There's going to be a lot of productivity lost today. The games start at uh, noon Eastern. Can you get them online? Yes. Give me give me a channel. Where do I go? ESPN, I'm assuming. No, it's on CBS. Okay. So I'm not... Uh, and the NCAA has a channel themselves. But don't tell anybody this, but I'm okay. probably going to watch four games today during work. Okay. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Luckily, nobody... Well, you just sit in your office and sleep, so it would be the same thing. Yeah, but this time I'll watch a game. Ah, oh, it's hard to do my show. The guy needs a break. We're going to take one, folks. Uh, wrapping up first hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio.
Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side, hour number two of the program, giving you the skills, the tools you need to go out and create your happy, healthy life. Today, we got a great show for you. Hey, we, uh, we're going to be talking today about, are you unwittingly turning your children into materialistic kids and adults by just, you know, motivating them in a way that drives them to become materialistic? I heard you the other day, Terry, yeah. say to your son, Jimmy, if you do your dishes... I'll give you a car. I wish my three-year-old would do dishes. <laughs> <laughs> Your son's not Jimmy either. No, but we are trying to motivate him to do certain tasks. Yeah. And it's to the point where it's like, if you do this, I'll give you some candy. Or if you do this, we'll buy like a Hot Wheels car or Yeah, that's it. Something small. But is it the size of what you're motivating your that's child That's what we got to find out. I think it's the fact that it's an object. Just so an you're, object. You're trying to motivate him extrinsically. Has this guy ever tried to deal with a three-year-old? Yeah. Because with three-year-olds, if you give them something, they're very they, – they tend to want to do that to yeah. get whatever the gift is. So what, what we could maybe give them is our attention. No. <laughs> you give them the toy and then they go away and you can do what you want to do. That's, now, go watch television. Now, go son. away. <laughs> Don't talk to dad. Thank you. Daddy's really busy. But see, maybe if we gave him our attention. I think my kid was looking for attention the other night. He pulled out the game of life. Yeah. And it has all those like fake money. Uh-huh. And he was like making it rain, throwing them up in the air Is over he, his like, head. He's just, whipping whoosh, it with his hand. Just throwing stuff in the air. I'm like, no, what are you doing? You know. That's what James does with his 42,000. That's right. And then I had to run over and pick it all up. And he looked at me, I'm very sorry, Daddy. I'm like, oh. What a great kid. Can you help me pick it up? Mm, no. Then you walked really out of the room. I'm sorry that you have to pick that up. Goodbye. Yeah. See ya. That's that's parenting 101 right there. We're going to be learning today all about how to motivate your children. I found some bad news <sighs> for you. And by the way, your board operators. I found some bad news what? for you, Matt. I don't need any more bad news. You you enjoy an occasional diet soda. I've I've been known to do that. Yes. There's some uh research. Oh jeez. What? There's, there's a downside to your calorie-free Refreshment. What could that be? Regularly drinking diet soda could impact waist size, says the authors of a new study linking calorie-free colas to greater abdominal obesity in adults 65 and older. Oh, see, so I've got plenty of time. That's, the, I'm 20 years away from that. The study, the Journal of American Geriatrics, which I know you subscribe to. Yep, twice, looking, twice a month. Looking forward to the future, suggests chronic diet soda yeah. con, uh, consumption could increase the risk of... Uh, metabolic syndrome, which the co-occurrence of risk factors that contribute to cardiovascular disease. Ouch. What what does that mean? It means it's all bad and can hurt your heart. It's going to hurt my heart, but what does that have to do with my gut? Artificial sweeteners such as saccharin, aspartame, and something else that's fake sugar. Gingivitis. Are now coming under fire for studies suggesting consumption of these products have increased over the past 30 years, along with the number of obesity cases. It There's just causes... Correlation. Gut... gut Blast. Gut bust. Yeah. Well, that's negative. It doesn't say what happens if you, you know, continue exercising and drinking diet soda. Yeah. Okay. So there's hope. The idea is you're 65, maybe you slow down, you're, you're less active, and you drink a lot of Does it say anything soda. about a correlation between diet beverages and uh, foot disorders? 
like uh, plantar fasciitis. No, so. that could probably have to do with your shoes. Oh, the uh, the way possibly you run. No, you today walk. I'm wearing my nurse shoes. But you sit in a chair a lot. I do. And go tell me about your feelings. So I'm not sure how you get active and hurt your foot. But well, no, I did. I, I oh. did get active like two years ago. What'd you do? Oh, you ran on a treadmill. Yeah, well, yeah, I, that's when I blew my foot up. Okay. Maybe get a new treadmill. <sighs> yeah. A treadmill without the, the rocks and the different obstructions yeah. running on the belt. The, the, um, it's, it's a real-life treadmill. Oh, okay. More of an off-road sort of experience mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. There are 15 baby names apparently set to disappear. Oh, good. According There's to the— There's some, like, Thor. No. Thor is pretty popular. I don't know if you've noticed. There's a movie— yeah. Guy with a hammer. Okay. So people start naming their kids that. What names are disappearing? Well, for this is according to the uh, Social Security Administration. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Girls Alpha, Barbara, mm. and it's the uh, spelling variation used by Barbara Streisand. Uh, Claudine, <laughs> Nanette, Sheba, Sandra, Fisby, and Zelma. Fisby. Fisby. That is a great name. For boys, Elmo, <laughs> but short, short for Guillermo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Icarus. <laughs> Keep going. Inigo. Inigo. Uh, is it Lewin? Lewin? Mm. Something like that. Lewin? Yeah, Lewin. Remus, Sherwood, and Waldo. Man, those are some classics. Remus. Remus! Get over here. So Sherwood and Waldo. They're all they're all names supposedly haven't been used. Once they fall to five people or less, apparently they fall out of the system for Social Security. <laughs> now, we read the other day, people that are 112 years old have been dead for years and people are stealing those identities and yeah. they're still active. But so, Waldo, yeah. Waldo's gone. No. But so if you're if you if that's an interesting fact. So if somebody comes up and their name is Remus, you probably know they've stolen someone's identity. <laughs> it might be a, a good sign. Or Sherwood. Or, that's interesting. It just reminds me of a, like a high-tech company. That whole list. It's like a law firm. Yeah. A really, it's like a high-tech law firm. The firm of... Remus, Sherwood, and Waldo. Sherwood, Wal- Waldo, and Elmo. Icarus? Icarus. Oh, Icarus. Your eyes. They're so majestic. Yeah, it doesn't work. Does no, it? that was kind of weird. Icarus Crane. That was a famous person. Was it? I'm looking it up. Apparently. <laughs> Wasn't that Ichabod? I think it was Ichabod, but. Yeah, it was Ichabod. Uh, top 10 happiest jobs. Do you have a happy job? <sighs> sure. <laughs> sure, I do. <laughs> do you enjoy your employment? Uh, yes, I do. It is the greatest thing i do i always found that to be a fun question to ask at work yes <laughs> it's great <laughs> how much do you love your job yeah this is a weird place to work and talk about your job and yeah because we talk about it i mean but then yeah no one's listening to what we're saying like from our company because they're all asleep allegedly until they're not and they walk in and go i heard you do this I'm afraid someday we're going to do like a, a, a check, a show check, and we're going to sit down with Don, and he's going to just randomly flip it to this one area where we <laughs> are talking about him. A job site, Career Bliss, released yes. data on what it claims are the 10 happiest careers in the U.S. based on 
over 25,000 reviews submitted yeah. by users. Okay. The number one job, school principal. Right. Really? That's what it says. The happiest? Okay, that's cool. Executive chef is number two. Wow. Okay. Lo- loan officer, number three. Oh, please. Automation engineer, number oh, four. Come on. Research assistant. Really? Number five. This one says, and then six was Oracle database administrator. Hmm. Is that because you don't have to talk to humans? You yeah. just deal with a computer all day? You're all by yourself. Website developer, business development executive, senior software, uh, just engineer, hmm. kind of general. And the last one is system developer. So a lot of computer-related things there where maybe you don't have to deal with a lot of people. Maybe the key to being happy at work is to not be involved in any way with people. I could see how that could be a bonus. <laughs> Maybe the best or the happiest job is being unemployed then. No. You've been there. Yeah. It's not a, not a happy place to be. You know, interesting. Radio, television, uh, marriage, counseling, training, speaking, none of those were on there. No. That's why I was asking, do you have a happy job? I guess not. I thought I was happy, but now I'm sad. But it's not really a job. It's about 15 different things. Yeah. You try to cram it all into a, a, a small period of time during your day 16 17 hours occasionally you get up in front of people and (laughs) do my dance do your dance and dancing wasn't even on there no that's just sad but you know this is good for james to know he has a lot of options here james has a lot of options school principal you're gonna do it james maybe it's or the oracle one the systems administrator systems administrator okay that sounds what system would you administrate all of them I would like choose you'd all be, of the above. Like you'd be the you'd be the overall yeah system the global systems administrator. Ooh, yeah. The uh, AKA if the Oracle. You're, if you're global, <laughs> you might have to talk to people though. No, no, because you, you would hire uh, someone in the C-suite. All right, you'd hire someone over people talking. That that way. No other people ever get to the Oracle. You're the assistant in charge of people talking? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, nobody talks to the Oracle directly. Mm. No. That sounds like a great job. It's a happy job. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think I would set my salary at $2 million. That's conservative. That's $2 million. Pounds. Oh, pounds. Whoa. Uh-huh. I don't know. See, that's I a just, lot of money. See, that? see, you were happy with $2 million, But then when I said pounds, it's like that's almost double. Yeah. That seems a little excessive. No, two, no, I meant. Sorry, did I say pounds? I meant two million Bitcoin. That's, Whole, a, that's just excessive. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I only want to be paid in Bitcoin and Cole's cash. The two. <laughs> that's a universal currency. Those are like two <laughs> hidden currencies. So half of your currency is going to expire within like one or two years. Well, no, because on on half days when you can use your Kohl's cash and it's already 50 to 70% off, it's like doubling your money. So you're buying like a store, like you're buying I could every store. I could own I could own the franchise. I don't want to brag, but I am the Oracle. Okay, that's my uh, James take a note, but I do want I want to be called the Oracle for You want to be called the Oracle? The Oracle? Okay. I'd like to write that down, the Oracle. Mhm. The Oracle. Yeah, not the Urkel, Oracle. We're going to take a break. When we come back, are you spoiling your children? Are you putting 
them into a way of being, a way of learning, a way of being motivated that simply makes them more materialistic. We're going to talk to Dr. Lan Chaplin. When we come back, this is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, as we were searching through the Huffington Post the other day, an article came up, How Loving Parents Unwittingly Turn Their Kids Into Materialistic Adults. And uh, it, it cited a lot of the work done by Lon Chaplin, who's an associate professor of business at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Uh, she was a co-author of the study. And one of the things that Lon brings up is this idea that some parents use gifts to reward their children for good behavior, right? So who doesn't? Come on. If you, if you do this, I'll give you this, right? If you, if you get a 4-0, I'll give you whatever, and we give them a, a gift. The problem is, in the study, they're finding out that that could actually be nudging our children toward becoming more judgmental and more materialistic adults, we might be unwittingly creating materialistic adults and children simply because we are pushing materialistic things as a means of motivating. So what uh, we, we wanted to talk about on the show is what are we supposed to do? You know, I mean, and I've seen it. I've been to ball games and I've seen people try to move and motivate their kids a million different ways. Son, if you get a double... I'll get you a double. Literally, I joke about that. But I've heard at a baseball game somebody tell their son if they get a good hit and they get to second base, I'll get you a nice double hamburger. Now, that seems like it's going to not cause materialism. That's going to cause, you know, eventually a, a strong tie of motivation to food. But in this in this article, one of the things that uh, that Dr. Lon Chaplin said is if parents always reward and punish kids using material things, then they are unintentionally sending the message that self-worth is centered around accumulating material goods. Now, I guess the question would be, what should we be trying to motivate our children with? In her study, she studied, uh, surveyed 700 adults asking about their values, their life circumstances, as well as their childhoods, their relationships with their parents, and any rewards or punishments that they received. And then she correlated the data, basically found out that adults who had been rewarded with toys and other gifts as a child, they tended to reward themselves with material items later on in their life. And they tend to define and express their self-worth more through possessions. So think about that. Do you feel like you get your self-worth through your possessions? Do you tend to reward yourself with more things, more materialistic things? It may be tied to how you were raised and how you, were, how you defined your value system. Um, they also found another interesting thing about it is they found that these people also judge people more and the, make their judgments more, more based on their possessions and on what people, you know, have. Anyway, 
when the push came came comes to shove though i think there's there's probably a variety of other things we should use maybe more intrinsic motivators a feeling of self-worth a feeling good doesn't it feel good to have your room cleaned and we could go talk about how good it will feel having our room cleaned doesn't it feel good to have um, you know, the assignment done that we've been wanting to do. Doesn't it feel good to just have the intrinsic satisfaction of knowing you did the best on that and you got your A? Maybe it would be more valuable to talk about that, to focus on, you know, just simply a smile. Let's go get our jobs done and then we can finally relax and and feel less tension throughout the day. Anyway, um, another big thing that uh, Lon Chaplin talked about in that article is simply this idea of maybe what you could do as, is just reward your children with more of your time, with more of your attention. So why don't we go get our work done, and then when we're done, you and I can go have some time together. We can go play whatever you want to play. Now, wouldn't that be interesting if what people learned by doing something, finishing a chore or a task— was that we, we, we had more attention, more time, more focus, more freedom. That might be a better motivator. Remember, there's a million ways to get people to do something, but if you have to compel it and you have to force it or you have to always continually create some motivation for them, then they're not going to derive eventually any motivation from themselves. And if they're not self-motivated, eventually, you know, if there's not going to be a reward for doing something, we probably ought not do it. Now, it's basic parenting. But the funny thing, too, I've noticed just in my own life is just because these ideas are uh, there doesn't mean they're easy, does it? I, I know I have a hard time motivating my kids. But I also notice that if I focus on it, I tend to honestly be the biggest discipline problem in my family is is me. You obviously don't have that problem, but I do. And so if we, if we can't get our own motivation straight, and if we're just trying to be efficient with our children in how we motivate them, there's no easier way to motivate somebody than you do this, I'll give you this. I heard of a, um, a father uh, recently that took his kids on a trip and while they were on a vacation, uh, he just wanted to go golf all day. So he was out golfing, having a lot of fun, just loving his golf day, probably feeling a little bit of guilt because he should have been probably golfing with his kids that were all of golfing age. But instead, he pulled 300 bucks out of his pocket, handed it to his kids, gave them the car keys, and said, now, go have a great day. 300 bucks. I'm like, what? 300 bucks? I mean, my mom would give me five bucks to go to a movie, right? 300 bucks? Now, go have a great day. And then he went and played like two or three rounds of golf. In the end, that had to have been easier, just throwing some money at the problem. The problem is in the end, these kids may not ever have a life where they can just throw 300 bucks at something just to go spend their afternoon doing something. We're going to talk about it. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into the coach's corner and continue this discussion of other ways to establish consequences. How do we motivate our kids without uh, turning them materialistic, without neglecting them, without doing it too hard, right? Without crushing their spirit. Motivation 101 up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. How did your parents motivate you? How did they get you to go do the hard things, like get good grades? Did they just write you a check for every A? And is that the healthiest way to motivate somebody, is just buying them a present, giving them cash? There is a downside, my friends, obviously, because in the end, according to the research of, uh, of Dr. Lon Chapman, Chaplin, who's an associate professor of business at the University of Illinois at Chicago and the co-author of a study that was in this Huffington Post article that we're talking about, the downside to constantly trying to motivate your children with money or with gifts is that over time you might be creating more materialistic and more judgmental children. So what are you supposed to do instead? I mean, it's so much easier to just pay your kid for a grade, right? They get an A, boom. You give them 20 bucks, 30 bucks. The downside, I think, to that in the end is, and a lot of people can relate to it, and they're like, oh, sure, that's because that's just like their job. I just see them getting grades as just their job. Well, it's actually not their job. It's their education, right? And we should probably want to motivate education and not tie all education to a monetary benefit because there comes a point where, simply put, your education might not have anything to do with money. It should just have something to do with the fact that you're growing, that you're learning, that you're becoming uh, more what you want to be, that you're always engaged and interested. If you tie your child's education to just improving financial benefit, then you've just told them if it has nothing to do with gaining money, I'm not doing it. We just uh, sat in a meeting yesterday with all of the senior uh, students here at BYU Broadcasting, and they they wanted to just ask what are some keys to networking and getting jobs because, you know, they're all on their way out. They're going to have to go make a living. One of the things I said is every single job I've ever had, I started for free. So before I had a radio show, I did a radio show for free. Isn't that weird? Before I uh, had TV opportunities to be on TV and to do TV stuff, I was working for free as an intern. And then when I had already used all my intern time, I still went to the studio and for free, I worked in the mornings at 6 a.m. when no one else wanted to run a television camera in a local television station. Nobody wanted to do that, but I did. And because I got that, that got me an opportunity to get a job. Now, if everything's tied to money, that was stupid because I didn't get money out of either of those experiences until about five years later. So there's a dilemma when you always make growth and development and improvement about money. Life is much more rich than that. And I also think that that's maybe a reason why um, we have a harder time maybe motivating some of my kids. My kids will come in and say, yeah, so how much do I get for every A? And I look at them like, what? How, how much money do I get? Because, you know, Johnny's parents give him like 20 bucks an A. And I'm like, well, no, what you get is the satisfaction, son, of knowing that you are the bomb. You're amazing. You got an A. Isn't that great? And they look at me like, eh, I'd rather have cash. Or if you just want to give me, you know, gifts, a gift card. So here's some ideas. We really need to make sure we understand who the real discipline problem is. 
Don't just keep thinking that because your kids aren't self-motivated that they're the problem. It might simply be you are the parent and you might be the discipline problem. I know it's true in my life. It's so much easier to throw money after it or just give them a gift or whatever than it is to actually relate to my child. And so instead of just being mad because they're not doing what needs to be done, I need to get my game on and be a better disciplining parent. I, I got to quit blaming my kids for being hard to discipline, and instead, I've got to get better at disciplining. So if you're struggling with your own children, if you're struggling in motivating people around you, then go read about it. Go study about it. Go learn about it and recognize very clearly up front, if you're not disciplined, you're not going to be able to discipline others. Another rule I use when it comes to trying to, to discipline or motivate somebody is I try to use growth as the principle not gotcha, I call it. You know, a lot of times we try, we, we use the gotcha factor. We try to tra- trap them and trick them and create a really painful experience when really the reason we're trying to discipline our children to do something isn't to catch them. We want them to have a purpose. We want all of our discipline to have a purpose. We want the purpose to be their growth, their development, not just gotcha. And not just some powerful hook that I can use to get my kid to do what I need him to do. I want my kid to do what they need to do because they're motivated. There's a in the kind of the world of training and development. There's this interesting um, story that they always talk about. If you can get your dog to jump through a hoop, that's pretty powerful. But you haven't necessarily motivated the dog. The only one motivated is you because you're still getting. The motivation, you're grabbing the hoop and you're somehow, you know, getting your dog to jump through the hoop. But the only one motivated in the room is the one that's holding the hoop. Now, here's the trick. When you can get your dog to grab a hoop and get other dogs to jump through the hoop, now you've got a motivated dog. That dog is so motivated. So think about that. When you are just sitting there and you're the one that thinks the thought that has to get your kids to bed, that has to do everything, and you're creating all of the momentum and the energy behind it and the feeling behind it to make everything move, then you're the only one that's motivated. But when you can get your kids to do it, boy, now you're onto something. So here's some rules. Lead with principles, not punishment. So instead of only talking about the consequence, Let's instead, let's teach the principle we're trying to grow here. Back in the old days, there was the law of the harvest. Every single one of us had to reap what we sow. You were not going to get something you didn't plant. On your farm, you were not going to reap the benefits of something you didn't go weed and take care of and sow and and, and grow. We now live in a day and age when it doesn't necessarily work under the principle of the law of the harvest. It still does, but most of us don't live on a farm. So we don't actually see our work always equating to our results. We can actually have, you know, be paid even though we really aren't that into our job. And the company is so big that they don't even know we're not into our job. I mean, we're doing our job, don't get me wrong. But I'm at about 40% capacity. And nobody knows because I tell a good story. So instead of just teaching, you know, that you're good, you're fine, that's that's okay, just keep doing it that way, maybe what we ought to do is teach the principles to our kids. The reason I want them to do their homework 
isn't just so they'll pass a class. The principle here is learning. The principle is development. The principle is growth. And when you go to school, I don't want you to just learn how to pass a class. I want you to learn how to think things through. Principle of thinking. And every single thing about school, for example, has a principle attached to it. I don't want you on a sports team so you can get a scholarship. I want you on the sports team so you learn character, so you learn integrity, so you learn how to be on a team. Make sense? The principles are so much more valuable than the supposed position we might be put into. So make sure we're not just talking about the money and make sure I don't want my children to run for student body office because I want them to be powerful or popular. I want my kids to, if they're going to run for student body office, I want them to understand leadership. I want them to understand how to motivate people. So that's what I would spend a lot of time talking about. And then here's what I would do is I would tie my punishment to that. Because, son, if you can can become a student body officer and you can learn to lead people and you have to get up earlier and you have to go there and you have to go to more things and you can be more social, those are all things that will benefit you. I don't then need to pay you for going to student body officer class. I don't need to pay you for going to take your music lessons. Because in and of yourself, you're finding the intrinsic value. Uh, last night, I, I did a speech for a church group of about 400 youth and their parents. And um, it was the coolest thing in the world because I got to do my speech. And in the middle of my speech, my son got to go play uh, a song that he wrote that is, it's, it was released by the LDS Church for their EFY album. And um, I'm sitting there watching my son sing a really cool number that was kind of a really important song to him about how to grow. But it was the, it was really it was the it was the neatest moment because that was that song symbolizes my son finally finding his own motivation, and he then is singing it and sharing it with everyone else. And after, when I'm talking to my son, we're not talking about, see how rich you could be if we could just sell so many albums. And we talked about the fact that how did that feel, son, to be able to know that you could teach that message to all of these kids? What did all the kids say to you when they came up and talked to you? Well, they said I did a great job. And again, a lot of people would just comment kind of on the more material aspect of it. But others would tell him that they that he changed their life. And I'm like, what does that make you feel like when you know you're changing someone's life? What's the principle behind this, son? So this is all about service. So you and I, we would just spent three hours together, which was cool. That created bonding. That was fun in and of itself. And we were living the principle of service that we believe in. That's the payoff. Now, I didn't do it naturally. I mean, I'm not, I'm not that on top of it. But we've been working with our kids forever. And, you know, sometimes you might throw it out there. Wouldn't that be fun to be able to go sing this song in high school and let your kids see your talents? And that's kind of fun at times. But in the end, my kids know that their their gifts and their talents are theirs. And we all we all have to struggle with this. Another thing I've learned just in motivating people in general is let the people pick their poison. (laughs) So with my son, if we're not getting the grades we need, I'd go talk about the principles 
I go talk about the impact it's going to have. We're not studying. We're not working hard. We're not learning all of these things. So what should we do, son, to make this easier for you to to feel motivated? And I let them tell me what we should do. Because when they pick their poison, interestingly, I've learned, they pick a much more dangerous poison than I would ever pick. Like, I might not dare take the phone away, but my son might say, take my phone away. Part of that is because in that moment of having this conversation, we are all a little naive as to how messed up we really are. (laughs) Okay, so you want me to take the phone away? And what would that teach you? And then I go back to the principle. Well, it would teach me that I have to work harder in order to get a phone. Okay. And what, how would that make you feel? And we talk about it. And so that phone might become part of the motivation program. But I also want to know, how do you think that would feel if we do that? And I want him to tie it very clearly to the feelings he would have as well. Anyway, another tool for you is make sure in the end that you're always reinforcing the relationship with love. No matter what, you're going to love these kids. No matter what. You're not going to love them if they just get good grades. You're not going to love them if they don't. You're not going to love them if they are a star on the sports team. I'm not going to love you any more or less. Love is unconditional. You've always, you will always have that with me. You will also always have me pushing on principles with you. And we will come up with accountability. I would try to give them more of my time as a motivator. I would always try to make sure that they feel the intrinsic value of whatever they're doing. Because if we can get them to feel the intrinsic value of whatever they're doing, that's a motivation source that can go with them, right? It's tough. Man, kids are hard. But you know what? Again, parents, you're doing the best you can. Just every day, let's just learn a little bit more. So think about what we've talked about and just ask yourself, what's the one thing you could do a little bit better in your parenting or in your grandparenting? As a grandparent, make sure, too, that you're not making everything about tangible outcomes. Oh, son, I was so proud of you because you scored a touchdown. What if instead you tied your being proud to the fact that they worked so hard? I was so proud that you were such a a strong uh, person after you got hit really hard in that game. You were able to to go back out and, and muster the strength to do that. That made me really proud that you were that strong. Isn't that interesting? Focus on more traits. Focus on more characteristics, more principles. I was, I was so grateful that not just that you got home on the right time, but that you were able to, to get your date home in time when she needed to be home as well. That's pretty powerful. That's a sign of respect, son. Anyway, cool ideas. Parenting, it's not easy, but super rewarding. And uh, we, can, we can make major changes. Remember that how we parent today is going to impact their lives tomorrow. It's also going to impact how they're going to parent your grandchildren. We're going to take a break, my friends, and come back, do a little bit more news. Then we'll uh, wrap up hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. We're here to give you the tools to help you build your great life right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show, the show where we help you uh, find the tools you need to live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, better lives. 
lead the people that you're with, right? Now, not that you have to be like a leader leader, but just influence. It's powerful. Uh, It's also, as we get into this, um, people aren't going away. I'm kind of noticing it's it's a pretty core part of everything. Like earlier in the show, we were talking about some of the happiest jobs involve, you know, jobs that people aren't around, which is sad. I couldn't imagine being on the show without these two lugs, James and Terry. Aw. I mean, I could. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I'm not saying. You wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't. Yeah. I can get rid of you guys in a minute. So you're just being nice. Just being really nice. <laughs> just being really nice. And then completely tearing it down within yeah. seconds of well, being see, nice. Well, see, that's called a backhanded compliment. All right. So I gave you a compliment, and then it, I quickly jerked it away from you. It felt backhanded. It's like a dog on a leash. Hmm. You know, you let him go for a minute, give him some hope. <laughs> no, you don't. Um, a little update, James, uh, really quickly on the engagement. Still engaged? Check. Uh, are you still engaged to Thisby? Yes. Is that her name? Thisby. Yes. Because you've yet to tell me her name. We, you've dated for it seems like years, and I have yet to learn the name of your girlfriend. So we're calling her Thisby today. Yeah, and I was actually thinking about, you know, we uh, discussed earlier how you're going to find out her real name once you get the invitation mm-hmm. to the wedding. I was just thinking I'll just make a an invitation for you that uh, doesn't have a real name on it. So Oh, so, so you won't in fact know her real name. Well, will I be at the wedding? Will I be at the will I will, when I'm at the reception, I'll be at the reception. Will I ever I'll meet her parents? Yeah, uh, maybe I can instruct them beforehand. Just okay. Say, like, okay, her name is going to be uh, yeah. Malkovich. I'll just go with Thisby. That's one of those new names, one of the names that sadly are disappearing. That is sad. Or Waldo. Or Waldo or Rufus. Remus. Remus. Sherwood. Sherwood. See, now Sherwood would come back if there was just another quality Robin Hood movie. Let's see, it's one of my favorite forests. Two By far. Top two or three. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know any other forests? The Hundred Acre Wood. Okay. Fangorn Forest. Okay. It's Lord of the Rings. Oh. I knew it had to go there. <laughs> I thought that was like on Star Wars, but not Lord of the Rings. Nope. Awkward. Any headlines for us? A couple weeks ago, a guy flew a, a drone over the White House. Crashed yeah. it into the – it was oh. part of the long string of Secret Service issues that have been going on. By the way, did you hear they're missing a video? Of? That weird accident oh. with a Secret Service agent. Yeah. Apparently that didn't really one of the happen. videos didn't record. Hmm. It's missing. Hmm. That's what the new head of the Secret Service had to report today. We, there, there, there's a video missing. So yesterday he wanted an $8 million replica of the White House, and today the video is missing. Yeah. Maybe what he needs is an $8 million video recording machine. Could be. Run by Congress. But this guy that flew his drone, uh, his name was Sean Usman. Yeah. He works for the uh, National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Oh. So it's the uh, part of our intelligence community in this country that uh, studies spy satellite footage and photographs and all so that. So he was kind of probably stuff. just doing some work. He no, he was goofing around. He was actually drunk 
intoxicated is the official term, but he was goofing around. I think a friend said, hey, why don't you give this a shot? So he flew it over the White House and crashed it. Fly it over the White House, Remus. So his agency he works for is not taking any action against him. Oh. Because a government agency, you do something like that, maybe they'll do something. They're not going to do anything. The FAA may do something because it's a no-fly zone Yeah, over the White House. I think they ought to... I think the president's daughters ought to get his drone. It's a nice drone. And I think that that's the least they could do. Then what could be more fun than seeing the video of the president's daughters with a drone? They'd crash it into Marine One or something. Yeah. What's the deal with everyone drinking? Is everyone getting drunk in D.C.? Because first the Secret Service guys were drunk, I guess. Right. So we're going to we're going to point out two or, or three random incidences and just put that across the entire yeah, city. Exactly. Okay. That works. It's like the whole city. The whole city. And what they do is it's like once they get intoxicated, they just they're like let's go to the White House. Yeah, let's Everyone go right there. goes to the White House. Yeah. In other news, mm-hmm. Microsoft re- they'll release Windows 10 in a few months. Yeah, we heard they, that. They announced uh, that it's going to be free to everyone who has Windows 8 and Windows 7. What if you have, like, Windows 3? No. You will not get an upgrade. Even though I invested? In Windows 3? Yeah. You've missed a few upgrade cycles. <laughs> so what they're saying is if you have Windows 8 and Windows 7, you for one year, you can get free Windows 10 upgrade. Wow. Now, That's very generous. The problem is all the people who have pirated copies of Windows 8 yeah. and Windows 7. Do, if you, what if, yeah, what if your, your version is pirated? And as the article points out, especially in China, in yeah, what China, if, there's a huge problem with pirating software to the point where they think three quarters of all copies of Windows are pirated. Wow. That's sad. Windows is deciding them, those people also will get free upgrades. Everyone upgraded to Windows 10. Wow. Windows is kind. They're basing a business plan on the idea of getting everyone to the same platform and then we can uh, we can be able to sell you things that way instead of trying to police this huge problem. Look, I'm not a I'm no Warren Buffett, but it seems like you don't want millions of pirates no on your site just rummaging around. So it's kind of surprised some people that they're going this direction. Wow, who knows? Who knows? Maybe they know something we don't know. Always give it free to the pirates. We're going to take a break, my friend. Hour number two. It's in the books. Wrap it up. We're done. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back. Hour number three. Up next after this break. Friends, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your life coach, your guide on the side, your political umbrage host. 
Because so many people are taking umbrage today. I'm outraged. Outraged! There's a new politic out there, folks. The politics of being outraged, of taking umbrage, of being offended by what another has done. Now you can run an entire election on it. That's how we do it. Is this good? No. Somebody says something, you run up to the microphone, take offense. I mean, how many times today could I have been offended by you two? Oh, constantly. I mean, the stuff I said in the hallway that you didn't hear? Man. What? Yeah. What was that? I, I'm not going to say it now. It's rude. You're you're who, here. Who did you say it to? I was just kind of talking. To yourself? <laughs> I mean, it, it was loud. I mean, people could hear me, but it wasn't really directed at anyone specific. But me. It was directed about me. It was about you. It wasn't to you. Well, I take umbrage with that. When I speak behind your back, I do it out of earshot. Well, and I appreciate you telling me you were speaking behind my back. James speaks behind my back, but never tells me he does. We have our different approaches. Yeah. I'm outraged. Are you outraged? Yeah. What are you outraged? You're, you're outraged because... I feel like our rights to be able to talk about people behind their back, whether disclosing it or not, not disclosing it, should be protected. And I'm outraged. Well, you can be outraged all you want. I'm already taking umbrage. That's the thing. I, umbrage, I think, trumps outrage. That's, that's your secret, you, is, is you're always outraged. I think that's what it is. Yeah. I've got – I'm a perma-rage. Perma-rage. I like that. But if I, I think if I take umbrage first, that trumps outrage. Okay. And we want to get into what Terry's doing talking in the halls by himself. That's, that's the thing. Weird. You're that's always weird. taking umbrage. Mm-hmm. Always. Well, there's all – I'm trying to start a political party. See if umbrage. You, see if you take umbrage with this. Okay. The principal church of the Archdiocese of San Francisco. Okay. It's called the St. Mary's Cathedral. That's the building. Has been dumping water on ho- on the homeless in order to keep them from sleeping on its property. <laughs> According to CBS San Francisco, water pours from a hole in the ceiling about 30 feet above, drenching the alcove area where the homeless people tend to gather. <laughs> One witness says, I was shocked. One, because it's inhumane to treat people that way. The second is, we're in a terrible drought and they're wasting water. Do you take umbrage with that? Should they be drenching the homeless? Well, some would say they're just helping them be clean. It's a shower. Others would say it's like hosing people off. Or it's it's like using a squirt bottle to train your dog. Get yeah. away or Get stay away. away from here. Scat. Scat. Yeah, I take umbrage with that. Okay. Take umbrage. We shouldn't soak the homeless no. to get them away from our building. I do like the person who was shocked because it's inhumane and second because they're wasting water. I don't remember that in the scriptures. Thou shalt drench. Bring, bring me your homeless so I can drench the dreads them. of society. Yeah. To get them off of your property. Yeah, I don't remember that one. I take umbrage with that. All right. Trying to gauge your level of umbrage. What would you do with a little extra cash? Uh, <laughs> you had extra money. Uh, if I had extra money. Now, we're not talking... Above and beyond my other extra money. Like funny money where you can do whatever you want with it. But actual cash, you want to do something responsible with it or fun. What, what would you rather do? I would buy the homeless in San Francisco umbrellas. <laughs> that would work. It would kind of help the situation. That would tick off this... The church. Church. Uh, I would. I would. I would feed the poor... I would clothe the naked. Uh, I would then buy a Rolex. 
That's a lot of extra cash. <laughs> How much cash are we talking about? I'm not sure, but it says more than half of respondents said that they expect to receive a tax refund this year from the yeah. poll that was taken here. Of those, 82% said lower fuel prices have made a difference in improving their financial situations. 37% of those expect a tax refund say they plan to use it to pay off debt. Yeah. 29% save it or invest it. 20% said the money would go towards converting basic necessities or covering basic necessities. Less than 10% said they'd spend the extra money on something nice or fun. So people want to be responsible with the money. They're, they're going to pay off their debt. And not just spend it. Yeah. I would give to the poor, feed the naked, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, get the umbrellas, Rolex, pay off debt, buy some more shoes that fit my feet better. But I'm not getting, I'm not getting a tax rate. I'm not getting a, what do they call it? I'm not a getting, refund? I'm not getting a refund. Some of us just pay taxes yeah. for well, the rest of you that get refunds. Hey, hey, hey. Sorry to be mad. I don't make the rules. I just benefit from them. I take umbrage to that. Mate, take a note, James. Okay. Wait, let, let me. Yeah, take a note. Let me get this. Okay. All right. What are you doing? I'm just setting this up. It's going to okay, type go it ahead. out for you. Yep. You're going to type my note? Yeah, yeah. Typing your note. Uh-huh. No. No. All right. Yeah. What are you typing? I'm not even talking. <laughs> Talk. Uh, note to self. <laughs> okay. Send umbrellas to San Fran ASAP. Okay. Help the homeless clothe the naked. Okay. Mm-hmm. Get your shoes. Wow. How many words a minute do you type, James? <laughs> You're still going. <laughs> I, saw, I saw my aunt on a manual typewriter jam it because she typed so fast. Oh, all, you don't. All, all the little arms, yeah, it kept typing. But all the little arms yeah. hit, and yeah. there's like oh, yeah. 10 of them all jammed in there. I was like, whoa. Well, you know how there's like shorthand? Yeah. I type in longhand. Yeah. Just I want to make sure I catch everything. He spells each letter phonetically. Yeah, you know you know what I'd like you to do? <laughs> Just read back everything you wrote. Uh-oh. Um, it's going to take some decoding. I have to process it. <laughs> Since when have you been using a typewriter to take my notes? Well, it comes and goes. I have a lot of mediums. Uh, I just have this typewriter here, so I thought I'd pull it out and give it a shot. Hey, let, tomorrow I'm going to have you text something. <laughs> okay. I'm dying to hear what that will sound like. Text me something. Okay, so you got the note. That's good. Yep. Um, interesting. In other news, yeah. Benjamin Netanyahu's victory in uh, Israel. Uh, you mean Bibi. Excuse me, your personal friend Bibi. Uh, as it says here, it may push American officials to support a U.N.-led solution to the Israeli-Palestine conflict that they didn't really side with before. But they have no choice now because Bibi, as you call him, is choosing to uh, go against anything that the uh, Obama administration has been trying to uh, negotiate and push for. See, this, I think, inside uh, the White House, this is why probably everyone's drinking and driving and flying because they're mad about this. They had a plan. They had a plan. They felt like they had a Blasted. possibly an agreement. And in the last three months, it's mm. all fallen apart because uh, Bibi, as you call him, needed to get reelected. So he right. went far to the right. Which tells us there's a lot of believers. Wow. Really? Believers. Believers. Bibi. Believers. Don't. We don't need to conjugate this into something that doesn't I, really need to uh, happen. I want that trademarked. Believe Beavers? Believe Beavers. Okay. 
Beliebers, because uh, Justin Bieber's followers are called Beliebers, but Bibi Netanyahu's followers would call Beliebers. Trademarked by Matt Townsend. What would you say is the most popular breakfast cereal? Hmm. Waffle Crisp. That's a good one. I like that one. Don't know. Do they make it still? I don't know, actually. Hmm. Cap'n no. Crunch. No. Cap'n Crunch. <laughs> Cap'n Crunch. Which one? Uh, the Cap'n Crunch original, the one that that, shard, that shards of glass or whatever it is <laughs> cuts the top of your the roof of your mouth. That's the, the – uh, My the, favorite it's cereal. the berry one. Yeah, I the Crunch Bear. The Crunch Bear, I think, yeah. is the one that people have problems with. The most popular breakfast cereal is Cheerios. Really? Yes, that's true. I believe that. The brand Cheerio sold a billion dollars worth of cereal last year. That is cool. The most popular variety is Honey Nut Cheerios, mm-hmm. followed by Original and yes. then Multigrain. Oh, if you're into health. If you're into health. And then the next one is Frosties, which is a sugar-coated You know what's interesting about cereal. Cheerios, though? About half as much there. I'll tell you why it's so big. Because they're more than a cereal. Oh, yeah. There, that's how I entertained my children at church. Like, here you go, be quiet. That's also how I potty trained my children. <laughs> Aim for this. <laughs> I mean, they're brilliant. Hey, our cereal—you don't even just have to eat it; it it's can become multi-use. a target in the you toilet can, you for your potty it. training. You child. could glue it onto paper, and it's art. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You could run string through it for Christmas and make decorations, make necklaces. Yeah, all kinds of things. It is brilliant. So, anybody out there trying to start a new cereal line? Sure, you can like use a cool phrase like Cap'n, C A P apostrophe N, or you could like find multiple uses of your cereal so it's more than just food. I'm telling you, folks, that's why I read the New York Times right there. I don't know why I'm closing it, I didn't even get a chance to read it. Um, we're gonna take a break when we come back. We're gonna be getting into video games, these blasted toys that the kids play with. Are they as dangerous as we think? Or are playing video games actually a pretty effective tool to grow some of the cognitive skills of our children? We're going to be talking to Peter Gray, Dr. Peter Gray. And he's going to be teaching us about uh, the benefits of video gaming. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little Super Mario Brothers for you. Uh, right there, it just threw me for a loop. I just, just took a little detour into childhood. Uh, today we're talking about video games and the cognitive benefits of playing video games. You know, Mom used to say, it's going to turn your brain to mush. But you know what? It's really probably not frying our kids' brains. In fact, in some ways, it's actually those video games are actually helping us and our children potentially grow some some wonderful cognitive skills. And we've asked Dr. Peter Gray, who's a research professor at Boston College and who is currently researching and writing primarily about the natural ways of children and their learning. 
and the lifelong value of play. He says that video games may help children develop logical, literary, executive, and even social skills. He received his undergraduate from Columbia University and a Ph.D. in biological sciences from Rockefeller University. Dr. Peter Gray, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Yes, hi. I'm glad to be here. Great to have you. Talk to us a little bit about uh, video games. There seems to be a lot of common fears, misconceptions that parents have about video games. Yeah, I I should probably first uh, qualify this just a little bit. Um, I'm actually not so much specifically an expert on video games. I've been long studying play in general. Yeah. and writing about the value of play and how so much has been lost for childhood by the by the virtue of the fact that they're no longer allowed to go outside and play freely as children in the past did. And I've made the case that there's been a dramatic rise in all sorts of uh, mental disorders in childhood as a result of the fact that children are no longer playing um freely, independently of adults, as they used to, because there's so much that children learn that way. Yeah. Now, here's how the video game issue comes up. Um, I, uh, although I'm, I have, uh, I'm not a video gamer myself, let me say that. <laughs> My son very much is, always has been. He sort of uh, was born at the time that video games were just becoming popular, and now as a middle-aged adult, he still plays them. And so I learned indirectly from him. But the primary reason I got interested in video games is every time I give a talk about the value of play, the first question that gets asked, or one of the first questions that gets asked, has to do with video games. Somebody stands up and says, you know, my child is always uh, playing video games. I can't get him outside. Often, Most often it is a him, sometimes a her. Yeah. Can't get this person outdoors. And there's a general perception that comes in these questions, it comes in a lot of uh, articles, uh, comes in warnings from the American Pediatric Association, so on, a lot of fear of video games out there, a lot of belief that many of our children are spending way too much time playing video games, that this is harmful to them, that it's causing social isolation, it's causing obesity, it's causing mental decline of various sorts. It's maybe promoting violence because some of the games are violent in content. So because I kept getting asked this question, I decided, well, what what do we really know? What does the science tell us? I'm I'm also author of a general introductory psychology textbook, so I'm very used to, you know, let's look at the literature. Let's see what the science has to say about this. Let's not just go on a few anecdotes. Let's not just uh, go on what our intuitive fears might be. What, uh, what, do, what, what, what has actually been shown? Well, I was very surprised when I looked into the science, and it turned out that essentially all of the tests that have aimed at documenting these so-called, so-called negative effects of video games have shown negative results. They, they just don't show up. I mean, mm-hmm. video game players, ex- heavy video game players, I should say video game players who play a lot of video games are not any more obese than those who don't play video games. They're not, they're, if anything, more socially connected than those who don't play video games. There's no evidence that video game playing is addictive in any really meaningful sense of addictive, not the kind of real addiction that if you really want to quit, you can't quit. Um, 
there's no evidence that playing violent video games creates real-world violence. You know, hmm. it, it creates kind of pretend violence, not surprising, you yeah. know, in the short-term thing. But um, there, there's a extensive studies, long-term studies, showing that looking at kids playing video games, to what extent are they playing violent video games, to what extent are they violent in their real life, and what it shows is Violence in the real life of these people correlates very positively with real-world violence in their lives. If their parents are violent, if they live in a violent neighborhood, they're likely to be violent. But it doesn't correlate at all with violent video games. Hmm. You know, people make a, you know, playing this pretend violence doesn't cause violence in the real world. Well, so any more, that, I'm, I'm assuming, Doctor, any more than... As kids, we were all playing cops and robbers or army man, Absolutely. and right, and that was just in the backyard. But that didn't create a bunch of just violent people. Absolutely, I play that. I play that all the time. I was never a violent person. Right, I'm probably one of the least violent people there is. Yeah. And my son played a lot, played some violent video games, and he's one of the most pacifist people I know. So, uh, so a lot of this is is on, on you know. Uh, fears that we have, you know, whenever whenever there's some new technology, something new comes along, the older generation is afraid of it. Mm-hmm. We look at it and we say, oh my God, look at what these kids are doing today. And we imagine all kinds of awful things that might be happening because they're doing this thing that we didn't do when we were kids. Right. Uh, it must be bad. Yeah. <laughs> this has been going on ever since, you know, Aristotle or Plato <laughs> who complained about... Uh, about the poetry of the youth, that this was going to ruin people in the future. <laughs> That's right. Turn into rap yeah. music. Yeah. Yeah. And so so that, uh, Does, and that led me to write a couple of blog posts about it, which got a lot of response. And, um, and then more recently, I've looked into, there was a, a major review article published in, in the most recent issue of the American Journal of Play, um, which reviewed the literature on the cognitive effects of playing video games. And, you know, this is quite remarkable. Um, it turns out that video game players are in many ways uh, smarter, if I can use that word, yeah. than non-video game players. They have better memories. They have better attention spans. Uh, they can hold more different items of information into in their heads at once. Um they, they can make quick and accurate decisions um, on various kinds of psychological tests. Some of these psychological tests are actually components of IQ tests. Wow. And, so, and it turns out that, that extensive video game players are better at these things by quite a margin than those who don't play video games. Well, the question then is, this is a correlation. Is it, um, is it the result of the video games improving people on this or... Might it be that people who are good at these things from the beginning play video games? Right. So, you know, there's a cause-effect question here. Well, it turns out now that there's quite a number of experiments done, well-controlled experiments. You take people who don't play video games. You measure them on these cognitive tests. Then you assign some of them to play a, one or another video game. And they're, they're assigned to play this, you know, maybe a few an hour or two a day for 10 weeks or something like that. It's a typical experiment total maybe of 20 to 50 hours of video game play. The other group does some control thing, not video game play. 
And then you test them afterwards, and lo and behold, the people who have been in the video game uh, condition perform better on these mm. tests, whether they're tests of memory or they're tests of attention um, or whatever. And there's now dozens of experiments that uh, have shown these results, and some of them quite dramatic. And they're long-lasting effects. You right. test them half a year later, and those effects are still present. So, so, it's, so, so uh, there's positive. I mean, it's cognitively, so, it's positive. Cognitively, these are positive effects. Now, most of these studies use, believe it or not, high action games. Yeah. Sometimes first person shooter games, the kind of games we think of as the worst games right. kids, in a way. You right, know? yeah. But there are also studies of some of these, you know, more imaginative games and of the cognitive benefits that come from them, the games that involve, you know, the multiplayer uh, kind of games that involve a lot of imagination and creativity and. And there are different kinds of positive effects that come from those. Um, and, the split, and the multiplayer games seem to increase um, certain social skills. You have to be able to be social. Um, I'm not saying that, yeah. that the language is always perfectly clean in these games. So, well, there's, yeah, there's you're in the middle of a I war. Don't like about it. Right. But there's, uh, there's a lot of social interaction. You have to figure out how to cooperate with other people to achieve in these games. Um, the IBM Corporation did a study a number of years ago of, um, I think it was World of Warcraft, um, and they determined that the skills to really do well in that game are similar to the skills that it takes to be um, CEO of a major company. So <laughs> there's really a lot of That's research out there yeah. that... That we, uh, yeah. if anything, maybe for those kids, if we have kids who don't play video games, maybe we ought to be suggesting it to no, them. No, right. <laughs> I mean, and I think I think you're on to something here, Peter, because we're talking with Dr. Peter Gray, uh, who's a research professor at Boston College, who generally focuses on natural ways of learning and, and lifelong value of play. Um, he's also now recently, more recently gotten into the video game world. Uh, but folks, it sounds like there's a lot of uh, pretty strong research evidence that video games, maybe they're not as bad as we're making them out to be. In fact, maybe they're actually enhancing some of us cognitively. We're going to come back, continue this discussion with Dr. Peter Gray. Also try to find out what are some ways that we can continue uh, to grow healthy using video games, as well as some other ways that we could just continue playing a little bit more in our life to make sure we keep learning and growing throughout our lives. More with Peter Gray right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're talking about video games. Can they actually be benefiting your children's cognitive growth? But before we go to our guests, let me just give you a little taste of uh, some audio from the video game Call of Duty. Anderson, how badly hit us downtown? It's bad, section. Most of the city's now a full-blown war zone. I don't know how you're going to make it through downtown. I don't know yet. We will. Menendez knew exactly what he was doing. In the Pentagon, Washington, Wall Street, all on the same day, using our own aircraft. I think we've heard this song before. Wow. I'm locked and loaded. 
Come on, Henderson. So there it is, folks. And then they go out to the battle. And you got to take everybody out. And according to some of the latest research, uh, it, these games, they, they teach us a lot of really interesting skills, executive functioning in a way, social skills, uh, help ch- children develop more logical literary skills as well. So they're not all bad. Joining us is Dr. Peter Gray, who is an expert really in lifelong play and and the the ability to learn through interactive activities and playing. He's a professor at Boston College and has been researching this recently. He's been researching a lot more on video games and um, and the impact. And we're finding out, folks, they're not all negative. Uh, Dr. Gray, thank you and welcome back to the show. Glad to be back. Teach us, um, what are we supposed to do as parents to, I guess, make sure that our children are benefiting the most from the games? I guess instead of just throwing it to them, uh, are there ways that we can help facilitate their learning? Well, you know, I think that um, I think the great thing about video games is it's one area where, and one of the attractive things about video games is our kids are trying to get away from us. And yeah, they need to get. They're away. motivated there, aren't they? They're, and, but what what they like about video games is they're doing this themselves. Mm-hmm. That the games have built in the ways of learning them, the ways of progressing them, the, the rewards for for improvement are built into the game. So I think it would be a mistake to believe that we should be too directive or that we should play too much of a role in this. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, this leads me to another point, really. Um, there is, um, I often get asked questions by parents who uh, are concerned about their son, usually it's a son, who's... Um, playing video games all the time, is not going outdoors, is not doing much else, maybe falling back a little bit on homework, um, seems to have a time management problem. This is the kind of thing that then gets called addictive behavior. And I think this is a concern. And the research that has been done suggests that when this happens, it's not so much because the video game itself is so seductive that, that it leads to this kind of compulsive playing, but it's generally that there's something else missing in this kid's life. That, you know, we live in a world today where children and even teenagers are enormously restrained. They're not allowed to go out on their own as they once were. You know, kids used to congregate on street corners and malls and all kinds of places away from adults. They need to get away from adults. Right. And nowadays, um, it's harder and harder to do that. There's parents are not allowing it because of all the fears they have. Um, uh, there are laws against teenagers being out in many cases. Um, mall security guards don't allow teenagers to congregate they're all you know there's all of these things working against the opportunity for kids to get outdoors meet each other physically so they end up communicating on social media and we get annoyed by that because it looks isolating and so on and they end playing a lot of, of computer games often socially with other kids and then we blame them for it and say well why don't you go outdoors while at the same time we are kind of preventing them from going out. Yeah. And even those kids who are allowed outdoors aren't finding other kids to play with. So I do think that 
outdoor play is really, really important. I think kids still like that, but they are being deprived of it. So we really need to recreate the conditions that allow kids to freely play outdoors. My experience is that when kids really have a choice, when outdoor play is really available, there are other kids to play with, there are interesting things for them to do, they can take adventures where they're not being constantly monitored, directed, uh, judged by adults. Um, then kids generally choose a balance. They play a certain amount indoors on computers, and they play a certain amount outdoors. There's always some who choose one over the other. That's always been the case. Right, when right. I was a kid, there were some kids who just wanted to read all the time. You know, I don't. They wanted. They, they just weren't interested in the outdoors. They turned out okay. I mean, we yeah. have to accept individual differences. But most kids look for a balance when they really have a menu of. Options. So I would say that if you are a parent who has a child who's playing computer games all the time, it might be a good idea to talk to that per- person. You know, talk to your child. You know, what, what, what are there other things you would like to be doing? Yeah. <laughs> Can we arrange those things? Are there problems in school? Sometimes, sometimes there are kids who are being bullied in school, and this is their escape. And they have they're afraid to talk about the fact that they're being bullied in school, and so they. This is, you know, in this other world of the video game, they can escape from their real-world problems. Well, if your child is playing video games for that reason, you're not going to solve the problem by taking away the video game. Mm-mm. Now your child will have nothing, right? Yeah, yeah. and that, that might <laughs> be the first thing we jump to, huh? That, but that's the first thing we jump to. So, and then the child gets really mad, and you have a war, you have a, you know, a, an argument between the kid and the parent, maybe temper tantrum, you know, I think you need to take the approach of you think of being on your child's side on this. You know, not against the video game, but hey, you know, I notice you're not doing these other things, and is there is there any problem here? You know, you you have to know your kid. You have to be able to talk with your kid, figure out how to do that. And when you start by banning things, then you alienate your kid, and he's not going to open up to you. You need to start always by being on your child's side yeah. and working with your child rather than against. I mean, I think that's, and you started the whole show with that. Um, sometimes we, we pit ourselves against them or against their technology or their rock and roll music. But the, right. instead, um, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to divide us. It could just, we should try to make sure the relationship's strong enough that we can still have them play video games, we can still do other things and learning. Right. I, I love this idea that you, how much you've researched play as well, um, because simply, you're right. I mean, people, just even letting our kids go down and walk to the park now is, you can you could be, a, you know, in trouble with the authorities because you're not watching your kids. I remember being a latchkey right. kid, running all over my neighborhood um, back in the day, Talk, just talk a little bit more about um, this free play. It's it's almost I, I like the idea too that to know that kids need to be free to kind of right. make up their play, not always structured, right. not always watched over. I hope you don't mind if I mention my recent book, which yeah. is exactly on this topic: free to learn why unleashing the instinct to play will make our children happier more self-reliant and better students for life. Um, This book really summarizes the evidence. So everything that I write about is documented in the book. Um, But 
but in a nutshell, the argument is this. Over the past 60 years, really since the mid-1950s, there's been a continuous decline in the degree to which children are free to play on their own outdoors, in their own ways, free to have adventures away from adults. Over this same 60-year period, there has been a continuous increase in various kinds of mental disorders in childhood. Tremendous increase in childhood depression, Mm. tremendous increase in anxiety disorders. It's not just that we're identifying it where we didn't before, but even by standard clinical questionnaires, such as the depression scale on the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, which has been given to normative groups of young people over the decades, by those scales show uh, uh, as something like a five to eight fold increase in the rate of what would now be diagnosed as clinically um, significant major depression hmm. among uh, among school age uh, children. Mostly, these are mostly high school students that are tested with this. Um, there is a similar increase in anxiety disorders. There's a decline, there's a questionnaire that measures the extent to which people feel they're in control of their own lives versus the extent to to which they feel they're victims of other people's decisions and of circumstances. There's been a tremendous decline over this period of time in the degree to which young people feel in control of their own lives. There's also clinical evidence that not feeling in control of your own life sets you up for anxiety and depression. Hmm. So... What I devote much of the book to is showing how children learn to feel in control of their own lives. They learn it through play. They learn it when they, because play is where they are in control. Right, right. Play away from adults is where they have to solve their own problems, and they learn how to solve problems. They learn how to make friends on their own. They learn how to negotiate differences. When there's no adult there to tell them what the rules are and to enforce the rules, then you've got to figure out the rules. You've got to create the rules. You and your playmates have to solve your problem. If you get mad at a playmate, you have to figure out how to resolve this problem right. being mad without an adult stepping in and solving it for you. When we deprive children of that, we deprive them of the opportunity to learn, wait, I can be like an adult. I can control things. I can figure things out. I can solve problems. I can resolve differences. I can help somebody else. Kids aren't learning that now because they are always being directed and controlled and supervised by adults who are all too ready to step in and solve their problems for them. Man, it makes so, so much sense. I mean, it really does. Yeah. No, we've also, the other thing that's happened over recent decades, there's, there's uh, excellent evidence for decline in creativity in school children of all ages. Well, hmm. as we have increasingly been teaching children to do test work, where which is entirely uncreative, and we've taken away recess, we've taken away play. Play is, by definition, creative. It's always creative. Right, right. No surprise that kids are becoming less creative. It's interesting. It's like our worst fears as adults are creating fearful children, anxious children. Exactly. Oh, and, it, and And if we don't yeah, we, we've got to see this, uh, I think, a lot earlier. We have about a minute or two left, Dr. Gray. Will you just give us um, a, a two or three things that we as parents need to make sure we're trying to do a little bit more of with our kids to make sure that we are not, you know, 
creating conditions right. where they're not going to grow. They're not going to be more self-reliant. Right. You know, I think the, the, the number one problem, this is going to sound odd because it's not the typical advice from an expert. <laughs> but what you need to do is to figure out how to allow your child to play with other kids without adults around. That kids absolutely need this. This has been part of children's existence from the beginning of humanity. There's so much evidence that this is essential to children's healthy social and emotional and physical and intellectual development. We've got to restore that somehow. And there are ways of doing it in this day and age. You need to get together with neighbors. You need to get to know your neighbors so you convince yourself that the neighborhood is safe. You need to figure out some way if parents aren't willing to just let their kids go out and play without somebody out there monitoring. Okay, then yeah. have somebody maybe take turns. Somebody's going to be out there just watching, make sure it's safe but not intervening and not watching in any obvious way, not being there as a referee or a coach or a problem solver, but just kind of being there as a lifeguard, you know, right. the way a lifeguard on the beach is there, not to tell you what to do, but just to make sure that you're not doing anything that's truly life-threatening right. <laughs> and to make sure that, you know, if a shark appears to blow a whistle and <laughs> have everybody get out of the get water, off, yeah. you know, right. the, the, equivalent, the equivalent of that. You know, and then I think parents will say, okay, we could do this. I also think there are things you can do at the community level. Schools, after school hours, schools could be, could be free play areas. Kids could, kids could play on the, on the playground, in the gymnasium, use art supplies in a free play kind of way. This would mm -hmm. be very inexpensive. You just need to hire a couple of people, maybe a teenager and one adult to sort of supervise and keep things safe. It would solve the problem of for kids whose parents work until five, but the kid is off school at three. You've got three to five to be there playing. This is this is an easy, inexpensive solution. So I I could I'm, in my book I run through quite a number of different ways of solving this problem. But the first thing we have to do is recognize that it's a problem, yeah. and then we have to take a little initiative to solve that problem. And I love it. And it's it's such a simple concept. But as a kid, that that was a major part of my life was the freedom to do that. Um, yeah. It's 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 powerful and it's helpful. Uh, Dr. Peter Gray, we so appreciate it. We, we're going to have to have you back just to talk about the book, Free to Learn, Why Unleashing the Instinct to Play Will Make Our Children Happier, More Self-Reliant, and Better Students for Life by Dr. Peter Gray. Uh, appreciate it. We're going to take a break. Come back, wrap up the show. Just uh, try to reconnect everything we've learned today as well as uh, maybe open up a few more uh, interesting concepts for you. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. That's the wrap-up music, the hoedown music, which means it's time to uh, bring in the horses, take off the saddles. Why, really? Yeah. We have farmland? What's happening? Yeah, we got to start my farmland game on Facebook, bring my crops in. No. Hey, we weren't able to connect with BYU Sports Nation today. They're, they're running long in an interview. 
that apparently they deemed more important than the Matt Townsend show. Something like that. Something like that. That was the text. It but was... they've got it there. You know, once you're in an interview, you're in an interview, and it just went really long. But we'll catch them again tomorrow. Uh, any more headlines? We got to get in the show. We talked about net neutrality. Talked yeah. about uh, the idea of uh, the fear that big internet companies would somehow throttle your access to mm. other websites like a, a Netflix, yeah. or a YouTube. And, and it, they'd, they'd make it so that it didn't work as well, and so you'd have to use maybe their service from uh, the cable company rather than – or from the internet company rather yeah. than the service or you Or until to Netflix pays more, or hypothetically. The, or, or they play, pay a ransom of mm-hmm. sorts and allow it so that their service runs Extreme, as it should. Yeah. These are the fears. Yeah. So then the FCC comes out and says, here's what we're going to do. People emailed, like 4 million people or something emailed, and the FCC said they're answering the call of the people, and they're going to make it so that the the Internet is free and open by regulating the Internet companies. Now comes the, the discussion of the fear of now we're allowing a government entity to <laughs> regulate the Internet. And yeah. it's like, uh-oh, what did we just do? This is bad. Now now, now there's a clause in the in the document they created that talked about everything that's um, but basically, what they approve to be uh, uh, viewable content and oh, acceptable no. content oh, and that kind of thing. So they're going to make some sort of judgment on content. Almost censorship of it. And that's where people are like, okay, hold on. Oh, boy. <laughs> so if we do something against the current administration, yeah. future administration, who, are you going to make judgment that way? Or are we just talking about mm-hmm. you know, you know, age restrictions? or you know, th- There's no – it's really generic, really That's why general. you don't let the camel – you don't let the camel's nose in the tent. Yeah, the FCC, the federal Why are we calling them a camel? There. I do not know. It's an old thing. Um, but the, the fear now is that, that Verizon, that these big companies are going to sue to block this. Of course they will. Well, Verizon is saying they're not going to sue. They're going to let these trade organizations do the lawsuits because it would be bad for their company if they're out there trying to fight something yeah, that a bunch of, of people want. Lie, yeah. It's just bad publicity. So we're not going to put our name out there. But you're going to hear names like the CTIA and the NCTA. Oh, these are the groups acronyms. that rep- represent these bigger companies. Mm-hmm. Those acronyms are going to be out there fighting this, and Verizon's going to support them, but not be out in front of the public. So that we can just rest assured that there will be a lawsuit, and oh, it be will be backed by all of these companies, except none of us will know they're backing it. Yes. Ah, good old America. Absolutely. (laughs) Senator John McCain apparently is on the no-fly list from Russia. Oh, yeah. He's not allowed to travel to the nation of Russia. Would you trust that wascally little man? (laughs) He says his quote today when he was asked about it, he goes, I couldn't be more proud. I bet. That's really cool. That is a badge of honor right there. We put a bunch of uh, Russian politicians and businessmen on no-fly lists. Our country did. Yeah. And so Russia is just retaliating. Oh, yeah. So let's put Senator McCain... There's, Anyone else yeah. that multiple senators cannot fly in Russia? They're on a no-fly list, <laughs> and they're like, "That's my badge of honor." <laughs> That's cool. Do you know who Jim Beheim is? Yeah, uh, sports something. He's a head coach, University of Syracuse, men's yes. basketball. Yes, He's been there for decades. Yes, I know him personally. He's gotten in some trouble. Uh oh, what did he do? There's some allegations of improprieties oh, happening. No. Jim. So he's going to step down in three years. I'm going to make my <laughs> announcement right now. In three years, I will be stepping down. He will step down in three years. He held a press conference today as he was talking about this. And somehow in the conversation, he got into it. When he was in college, 
He wrote a 17-page paper on the American Revolution in one night with 32 quotations. Well, sure. So my question is, do you think that's possible? Yes. Can you write a 17-page paper in one night? Yes. You you email India. Okay. WriteMyReport.com? <laughs> and, and you have your friend in India, your close personal friend in India, will send you a report that you would then... Turn in as your own. Turn in as your own. In one night, 17 pages. Of I don't course. know. Seems a little That's how we do the show. We just send it off to India. Hey, folks, that's the Matt Townsend Show. Done for the day. We'll be back tomorrow to give you more ideas, more tools to help you uh, find the good in your life. Thanks for joining us now. Go out, take what you've learned, whatever little bit that was, and go make it a great day. Talk to you tomorrow.